0: Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 2 through to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then we're going to flick over to Luke chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Good evening, everyone. Again, and Merry Christmas. It's hard to believe it's Christmas
1: already, isn't it? Where did 2018 go? It just sort of evaporated. But we're almost at the end of it, and I hope for you it's been a wonderful year. But we've certainly come to a precious time of the year when we can stop and pause and celebrate together Jesus. And over the last few weeks in our Christmas Presents Christmas series, we've been focusing on him and the gifts he brings to his people. Tonight we come to Christmas Eve, and we kind of come to the pinnacle of this message, and tonight we focus on the gift of Jesus himself. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and as Luke records, Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. Good news, great joy for all people. Tonight's a celebration because the gift of Jesus is quite an extraordinary gift. But as we've discussed previously in this series, the danger that confronts us at Christmas time is that Jesus can get crowded out, he can get crowded out by the gifts under the tree or the parties we throw or the deadlines we need to meet, or the dinners we get to eat, or as Rowan pointed out a couple of weeks ago, in the My windows this year, even Alice in Wonderland can take Jesus' place. It seems at Christmas that pretty much anything we celebrate except Jesus himself. But tonight is a time to gather together and celebrate. It's a good opportunity to gather as a community of faith with grateful hearts and with lips full of praise to remind ourselves that Jesus is actually the most important and the only non-negotiable ingredient of Christmas. If we leave him out or replace him with anything else, Christmas just isn't what it's supposed to be. Jesus is the reason for the season. This evening, Hayden read two wonderful passages of Scripture for us, and at first glance, it would seem that they were both written in response to this amazing event of Jesus' birth. But the reality is that these two passages were written in very different times of history. The passage from the book of Luke in the New Testament was written after Jesus' birth to record this event in history. But the first passage was read from the book of Isaiah, and it was spoken out prophetically in the Old Testament more than 700 years before Jesus was even born. From these two passages tonight, there are three things that I briefly want to hone in on or draw out from these passages about the gift of Jesus. And the first one is this, that the gift of Jesus reminds us that God is faithful to his promises. Now, i am got to say, I think I'm a pretty good dad. Not the humblest dad, but I think I'm a pretty good dad. And I think my kids will either agree or disagree, depending on what day you ask them and whether they got their way on that particular day. But I'd like to think that most of the time, if you ask my kids, they would say I'm a pretty good dad. But what I do know about myself is that I'm not a perfect dad. I might be a good dad, but I'm not a perfect dad. There are times when I promise my kids something and I don't deliver. You know that feeling when the kids say, Dad, Mum, you said you were going to Fill in the gap. You know, play with me or take me for a driving lesson or help me do my homework or whatever it may be. And you become acutely aware in that moment that you're having a bad parenting moment. Instagram, in the world of Instagram, there's a hashtag to describe these moments. It's called hashtag fail. And when I looked it up this week, there were 43, 41.8 thousand posts under hashtag fail. So you th- if you think you've had a bad day as a parent or, or a bad year as a parent, you think you're the only one, well, there's 41.8 thousand other people that have had some bad times as parents this year. You are not alone. Let me read you some of the favorites from that hashtag. One lady said this. She said, I'd like to apologize to the people who stack shelves in the grocery store for putting stuff where it doesn't belong, but when the kids turn their backs, I've got to act fast, hashtag parent fail. Another one said, I probably wouldn't kill so many houseplants if they would scream and yell for food and water the way the kids do, hashtag parent fail. And another parent who had forgotten to get Christmas presents this year simply wrote this, going to go lay under the Christmas tree to remind my family that I'm a gift. Hashtag fail. As parents, all of us have moments, don't we, where we forget or we're distracted or we can't be bothered or we simply fail to do the things or be the parents that we truly want to be. The gift of Jesus reminds us in the most stunning way that God the Father is not a parent like that. He is holy and righteous and just and generous and perfect in every single way. God will not appear under the hashtag parent fail. Parent fail had forty-one point eight thousand posts. But when I searched a different hashtag, this time hashtag God is faithful, there was four hundred and eighty-three thousand posts under the hashtag God is faithful. Jesus is a permanent reminder that God is always faithful to his promises. When our Old Testament passage was first spoken out, it was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Now, if you don't know what a prophet is, a prophet is simply somebody who, under the power and inspiration of God, speaks the very words of God and predicts what the future may look like. Isaiah, in this particular passage, was prophesying to God's people, the nation of Israel. And when he spoke these words, the nation was actually in a giant mess. It was both spiritually and morally corrupt. They didn't stand for justice. They weren't characterized by obedience. They constantly bowed down to false idols. The nation was such a mess that it was divided into two kingdoms. You had Israel in the north and you had Judah in the south and they were warring against each other. These were meant to be God's people and that they were at war with one another. Israel in the north had rejected King David's throne, which was the kingly line that David had promised them, and they were partnering with the superpower of the day called Assyria, and together they were plotting to take out the northern kingdom, sorry, the southern tribe of Judah. King Ahaz at that time was the king of Judah, the southern tribe, and you can imagine that he wasn't that keen about being wiped out. But instead of trusting God, He went also to Assyria and he tried to make a backroom deal to try and convince them to partner with them instead and take out Israel. But when you look through history, it actually backfired in spectacular fashion. Eventually God's judgment through Assyria came back on both the northern and southern kingdoms for their disobedience. These were very dark days in the history of God's people. These people who had been set apart by God to represent him on earth, had failed in pretty much every way. If Instagram was around those days, I think hashtag God's people fail would definitely be trending. These guys were failing big time. And really, when you looked at them, you looked at their situation, it kind of seemed like there was no hope for the future. But right when it seemed that all was lost, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of the doom and gloom, in the face of comprehensive defeat, God raises up this prophet Isaiah to speak into the situation and remind his people that despite their rejection of him, despite their obedience and their wickedness, disobedience and wickedness, by his grace and his grace alone, he promises to deliver them. Now, I've got to say, I love this about God. I've experienced this in my own life and I've seen it in the lives of so many people that sometimes when you reach you know, rock bottom, when you're in the darkness, when you're struggling with no hope, when you see no way out, it's often in those times that God comes through and does what only God can do. And to these people that Isaiah was prophesying to, his words brought great hope because God was promising to deliver them and he was going to deliver them by sending his own son. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says these words, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Verse 6 For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, the throne that you've tried to reject. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. How's this going to happen? Well, Isaiah says that the zeal, the passion, the determination of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. To this broken and divided kingdom, there's a glimmer of hope. There is a light at the end of this dark tunnel because God in his grace is promising them that he'll not only bring them back together, but through his son they'll have an eternal king from the line of David who will govern and lead them with justice, truth, and grace. And so these are the words that Isaiah is speaking to God's people about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And so this, this evening, we're going to jump in a time machine. Are you ready? We're going to jump in a time machine, we're going to strap ourselves in, and we're going to head about 750 years down salvation history. We're going to go, and we're going to land in Bethlehem, in Luke chapter 2. And it says these words. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged in the house and line of David. This is what Isaiah had prophesied. This is what God had promised 700 years earlier. Verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, we know from a few weeks ago, we looked at Luke chapter 1, we know that Mary was a virgin. We know this in the songs we sing at Christmas time, and we know this from Scripture. And so before we get too settled in Bethlehem, we're going to jump back in time again. So strap yourself back in. We're going 700 years back to the time of Isaiah, and we're going to listen to something else that he also predicted. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. He said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. All right, let's fast forward back to Luke chapter 2. We're back in Bethlehem again, picking it up at verse 6. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. The promises that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah over 700 years before the birth of Jesus were fulfilled in his birth. This story, it reveals to us the very character of God. The gift of Jesus reminds us that God is faithful to his promises. He's not late. He doesn't forget. He never fails. He's always on time, in the right time, and in the right way on that very first Christmas in Bethlehem Jesus Christ was born, the answer to the promise, the fulfillment of the prophecy. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The gift of Jesus reminds us that God is always faithful to his promises. The second thing to remember tonight, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Uh, Statistics show that you're more likely to go to heaven if you jot down notes. And so jot them down. The second one is this. The gift of Jesus reminds us that we're never alone. I've got to say that my favourite Christmas uh, movie, we watch this every year as a bit of a ritual, is not all that spiritual. Our favourite Christmas movie is actually called Home Alone. Anyone watch Home Alone? I love Home Alone. I remember it was the first movie I ever went to by myself with my friends in grade 6 with Andrew Keating and Dowie Lowe. I went to Village Cinemas at Southland and we watched Home Alone. And at that time, it was the greatest movie I'd ever seen. Incredibly funny, hilarious. If you haven't seen it, you haven't really lived. But let me tell you the basic story. It's a story of a young punk by the name of Kevin McAllister. And Kevin lived with his family. But one Christmas time, he decided that life would be better without his family. And so he makes a wish that his family would all just disappear. And so that night at dinner, he causes a bit of a ruckus and he gets in trouble and he gets sent up to the attic to sleep by himself. And the next day, they're going overseas to spend Christmas in Europe. And so in the hustle and bustle of the next morning, Kevin sleeps through it all and through a variety of different events, they completely forget about Kevin until they're in the air heading for Europe. And the end of the story is basically this, that Kevin gets left home alone right over the Christmas period and it coincides with two burglars in the local community with very small brains, trying to rob all the houses in the neighborhood. And their number one target that Christmas time is Kevin McAllister's family home. And so throughout the movie, Kevin has to fight off these two robbers, and he does it by setting up these pretty elaborate booby traps, and then he leaves kind of toys all over the ground, so they sort of slip over and break their neck, and it reminds me just a little bit of our house. Kids leaving toys everywhere. I don't know whether they're trying to kill their parents, but that's what they tend to do. But the moral of the story is this, and it's a spoiler alert, and, and really, you've had 30 years to watch it. So if you haven't seen it, it's really on you. But spoiler alert if you're planning to go and see it this, after, this evening. Spoiler alert is this, that the moral of the story is that life is never better when you're alone. Life is never better when you're alone. Christmas is a wonderful time of year. I've got to say, I love Christmas time. It's a time to gather with the family. In our family, we obviously celebrate Jesus, There's been a countdown going on for the kids. There's excitement as they open their presents on Christmas Day. And then we go to both sides of the family to kind of stuff our faces full of food in honor of Jesus. And that's what we do on Christmas Day. It's a wonderful time for our family, but for others it's one of the most difficult times of the year. Just this week down at the food van, talking to some of our precious friends down there. And several of them were saying this Christmas Day they don't have any family around. They're not going to eat Christmas lunch with anybody. They're going to sit at home and and really do nothing by themselves. And so it can be an incredibly uh, sad time of year. And so while it's a time of festivity for many of us, it can also be a time of loneliness, a time of mourning for those that have lost loved ones, a time of isolation and pressure over things like finance and family tensions. And most years, Christmas is one of the busiest years for local police with an increase in alcohol and violence. As Christians, we're often not exempt from the pressures that come with a season like this, or in life itself. We're not immune from suffering, and sadness, loneliness, or depression. But what we do know is this, that no matter what we go through in life, even in the most difficult times of life, the times of suffering, we never do it alone. God is always with us, developing and shaping us, even through the difficult times of life. Jesus' presence gives us comfort and reassurance in the present, the present of himself, but the present in terms of what's going on right now in our daily lives. Once again, Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, prophesied that because of Jesus, we'd never be alone. I read before from Isaiah 7, chapter 14, uh, verse 14, but I didn't actually finish the sentence. So let me read it again, and I'll finish the sentence this time. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign... The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Now, when you flick through to Matthew's gospel, recording the birth of Christ, he makes this note. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, God with us. The Christmas message reminds us that we're never alone because we have a saviour, a king, and a friend who is always with us. And Isaiah prophesies and tells us what this saviour will be like. And he starts by saying that he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. A lot of my friends have Apple Watches. I think Rowan's got an Apple Watch. And Apple Watches pretty much tell you everything you need to do to be fit, right? They tell you when you should you know, eat, and when you should walk, and when you should sit, and when you should breathe. They basically tell you everything about how to be fit. Now, I've never had an Apple Watch, but I have had a Fitbit. In fact, I had two of them. Um, but over time, I wore them out. They just couldn't keep up with my physical regime. And when you kind of reach the, the peak of physical condition, they kind of just explode. And that's what happened to my two Fitbits. They just exploded. But they used to tell me how many steps I'd done every day and whether or not I'd, I'd reached the, the pinnacle of 10,000 steps in that particular day. Well, now you can see I don't have any fitness watches, but I do have a fitness app on my phone, and I find it to be the most judgmental person in my life. It's usually when I'm about to sit down and watch the cricket or about to sit down and have some lunch, and it just pops up with a notification on the screen, and it says, it's time to exercise. I think, no, it's time to watch the cricket. And so I start to argue with my app. It's time to exercise. No, it's time to exercise. No, it's time to exercise. It just stays on the screen. No, it's time to exercise. All right, I'll get up. I'll exercise. And so I walk to the fridge and grab a snack. And that's my way of a hack of defeating my app. I can honestly press the button and say, I did my exercise all the way to the fridge and back. And so these apps, these watches, these apps, they're designed to to teach us and to counsel us on how to be fit and healthy. Now, whether they work is another story. But I was thinking this this week, wouldn't it be great to have an app that would help us with our spiritual life? When you woke up in the morning, it buzzed, and you looked at the screen, it just says, encourage somebody now. And I just say, well, Kim, you are the most beautiful woman in the world, and that's enough brownie points for the rest of the year. But imagine it bipped again, it said, read your Bible. A few minutes later, it bipped and said, have a rest. Care for the poor today. Bip, bip, pray now. Bip, bip, forgive. Be genuine. Bip, bip, love one another. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? I was thinking this week, it'd be great to have an app like that. And then I thought to myself, you know what? We spend too much time on apps already. We don't need any more apps. We've been given something so much greater than an app. We've been given Jesus himself. The gift of Jesus is the greatest gift we've ever received. And he is a wonderful counselor. The Hebrew word means that he is someone to advise, someone who we can consult, someone who will guide us and give us purpose in life. He reveals to us why he's created us the way we are. He shows us how we can use our gifts and abilities, our time and our resources to bring glory to him. When we receive Christ as our savior, he gives us the precious gift of the Holy Spirit and he fills us with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit over and over again reminds us in our daily lives what it takes to live for Jesus. He constantly convicts us, encourages us, challenges us, grows us, transforms us from the inside out. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. You now, just a couple of weeks ago, we worked alongside the council and a couple of other churches to get out a whole bunch of hampers to a group of people at Christmas time. Uh, four C's, we're going to do them, but they closed down early this year for a number of different reasons. And the council decided, no, we've still got to get these hampers out to the people who they've been committed to. They're depending on these hampers this Christmas time. They're in need. They're desperate, and we want to bless them at Christmas time. So a bunch of us got together and we decided we're going to get out. I think over 600 hampers in the end, and it was a big job to get together. It was a big job at the last minute to pull it all together, but it was wonderful to see the community work together for those that are less fortunate than us. At the end of the project, I got a text message from a friend at the local council who said these words, I truly believe people like you are the essence of goodwill and genuine interest in helping those who cannot help themselves. You should be very proud you have that within you. I thought that's a very nice text message to send and I could easily take the credit, but I knew that I couldn't because I know deep down that I'm selfish. I know deep down I'm just as uh, occupied as everyone else in the world, but what I do know is this, that I also have a Savior who lives in me and he is a wonderful counselor and he guides us and he leads us and he shapes us and he helps us to look outside of ourselves to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and with all of our strength, and to love people in the world around us. And so all the glory goes to Jesus. He's a wonderful counselor, and he helps us every day. Not only is he a wonderful counselor, but Isaiah says he's a mighty God. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Jesus is God in human form. The start of the Gospel of John, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, Jesus." And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the gift of God himself given to us. The God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who hung and flung the stars into space. The God who dreamed up the elephant and the ants. The God who created human beings and miniature bull terriers, the pinnacle of his creation. Jesus is Emmanuel, that same God with us. God with us. There's nothing he can't do. There's no prayer he can't answer. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. In other words, he's no flash in the pan. Jesus is not the latest fad. He's not a new app. He's not like my Fitbit watch. He's not here today and gone tomorrow. He's eternal. He promises that he will be with every one of us in this life, and for all eternity. Finally, Isaiah says he's the prince of peace. The prince of peace. As I said before, Christmas can be a difficult time of year, and often it's because of relationship issues. It's one time of year that kind of brings to the surface the pain of relationship breakdown, the argument you had, the tension you feel, the disappointment, the betrayal you may have experienced at the hands of other people. It reminds us that we're out of sync with people. That there's a barrier between you and another person. It's a horrible feeling. It's the kind of feeling that can keep you up at night. It's the kind of feeling that weighs you down. It can stress you out. And really, there's only one thing that's worse. And that is when the relationship breakdown exists between you and God. You see, our sin forms a barrier... Between us and God. It keeps us from relationship with a God who is holy and perfect. The gift of Jesus came not just to be born as a baby, but to live a perfect life, eventually dying on a cross, not for his sin, but for yours and for mine. When we accept the gift of Jesus, all of the sin that weighs us down is taken from us and is transferred onto Jesus at the cross who stretched out his hands and said, "'It is finished.'" And I'll tell you what it does. It draws us back into relationship with God because the one thing that separates us from God, our own sin, has now been removed by Christ. Now we can stand before Him knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we're loved, knowing that we are children of God. And that brings incredible peace into our heart and into our lives. It doesn't matter what people say or think of us because our identity is now secured in Christ. What God says about us will never ever change. And that's all been achieved by this wonderful gift we celebrate at Christmas. Listen to what all the angels said to the shepherds just prior to Jesus' birth. They said, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. In a world that is moving so fast, in a world that can be so crazy at times, in our own restless minds, Wrestling with our endless thoughts, Jesus is the peace that passes all understanding. He's given us a new heart, a fresh identity as a saved, forgiven, holy people of God. He brings us peace. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. The gift of Jesus reminds us that we're never, ever alone. Thirdly and finally today, the gift of Jesus brings us unshakable hope for the future. Now I know what some of the regulars here are thinking today. You're thinking Luke is getting through his last message of the year and he has not once mentioned St. Kilda Football Club. If you were thinking that I wasn't going to do that today, well guess what, you're wrong. This is a great opportunity that I can't waste because this is hands down the best time of year to be a saint supporter. This is a time of hope. This is a pre-season time. For Saints supporters, this is the equivalent of grand final week for teams that actually make the grand final. This is a wonderful time of year. And you may not have heard, if you don't follow football, this will go over your head. But for those that do, St Kilda just recruited Dan Hanabry from the Swans, a former All-Australian player. He's on one leg, he's about to retire. But he's come to the Saints. And so that's irrelevant. It's wonderful. We had pick number four in the draft. Picked up Max King, 204 centimetres. Runs like the wind, an unstoppable force. Most of you are nodding off. But it's a very exciting time for me as a Saints supporter. We've brought in some mature age players. We've brought in some new coaches. We've got a new game plan. And so I hereby declare 2019 the year of the Saints. That was pathetic. Come on, the year of the Saints. Still pathetic. Anyway. Thank you, Paul. The only one there, mate. We'll stick together. We're going to go from 16th on the ladder to premieres in one pre-season. Unfortunately, this is not one of Isaiah's prophecies. But this time of year, my heart is full of faith. But most people in this room know that it's blind, delusional, unfounded faith. And we all know how this particular story ends. It ends up in tears. Buckets of disappointment, bitterness and pain and a fair bit of anger towards my dad who brainwashed me as a child into supporting such an insipid and pathetic football club. But those emotions are for round two. Right now, my heart is full of hope, but I must say it's certainly not got any confidence attached to it because of the history of my life as a St Kilda supporter. But the hope we have in Christ at Christmas time is very different. The gift of Jesus brings us unshakable hope for the future. We can see in this story the way that God's been faithful. Under God's inspiration, Isaiah prophesied that a virgin would give birth to a son. And that's a pretty random thing to predict. That's pretty specific. But in the Christmas story, we can read it and we can go, tick, God answered that. He prophesied that he would be Emmanuel, God with us, tick, He prophesied that he'd be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Tick, 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 tick. In fact, scholars can point to over 200 prophecies in the Old Testament that have been fulfilled in the person of Christ. If God has been faithful in the past, we can bank on him for the future. This Christmas time, the gift of Jesus reminds us afresh that we have a God who's faithful to his promises. So remind yourself today, that in every area of your life and right throughout human history, God is at work, faithfully doing what he's promised to do. This Christmas time, the gift of Jesus reminds us that we're not alone. He's a wonderful counselor who will guide you and lead you in 2019 and all the days of your life. He's an eternal God, a loving Savior, who when you trust in him will bring you amazing peace. This Christmas time, as we look back at the faithfulness of God, we can remind ourselves of the promises he's made for the future. He's forgiven our wrongdoing. He's conquered the power of sin and death. He's coming back for his people, reigning and ruling over an everlasting kingdom that he invites you and I to be part of. In terms of God's promises, he passed in the past. He's present with us in the present. And his future guarantees are guaranteed. That's the nature of God. And it's the message of Christmas. The gift of Jesus is the most extraordinary gift ever given. But a gift only truly changes our life when it's first received. For God so loved the world that he gave. He's already given us his one and only son. His first and his very best. But the question remains, have you received him? Have you received this extraordinary gift because whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. He's an extraordinary gift and it's a wonderful time of year to pause and to celebrate the gift of Jesus.
0: Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info@follow.church, and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.